Welcome to John Glenn College of Public Affairs Policy Brief, webcast series of informed conversations with policymakers and influencers and public sector professionals. My name is Trevor Brown. I'm Dean of the Glenn College and proud to be your host. And I'm joined today by Lisa Pat McDaniel, the CEO of the Workforce Development Board for Central Ohio. The Workforce Development Board's principal task is to work in partnership with uh, companies and firms around the Central Ohio area to try and promote employment uh, for residents of, of the Central Ohio area. Lisa, thanks for joining me today. It's a pleasure to see you. Yeah, it's great to see you too. Thanks for having me. Okay, I'm going to start with an icebreaker question. This is one I didn't even prep you with. First job that you ever had. Uh, okay, so the first job that I ever had, let's ignore babysitting. Okay, we'll put babysitting. Most people had that as a job. Uh, so the first job I ever had is I was a busser at Brennan's Fish House in um, Grand River, which is up in Lake County. And the most exciting thing about it, besides I love perch, is that Canadians used to come across Lake Erie every day so every day I actually had to know what the exchange rate was <laughs> between oh. the US and Canada. So um, that was a really unique thing. Um, but yeah, I, I ended up working there and serving tables like over three summers. So I love so it. So on your resume, is this listed as expert in global trade? <laughs> it should be. I never thought about well, that. Part, part of the reason I ask is just to say, um, what adjustments do you think you would have had to have made in that job now that COVID has hit? What, what changes would you have had to make? Well, first of all, we have to hope that I would have been working, right? And that the restaurant would have been closed. And it was a family-owned restaurant. Um, so, you know, that brings a whole, it wasn't a chain. Right. So Tim Brennan really had, uh, that, that was their uh, way of making money for the whole family. And so, um, in addition, so it was a very popular place, as you, well, you wouldn't know because you're not from Cleveland, but everybody in Cleveland is really familiar with it. And so people would be hanging out on the porch and spilling over into the parking lot. So, you know, making sure that uh, people were socially distanced would have been particularly hard there. And the tables were crammed in and Tim used to walk around and, uh, as people were finishing, he, he was kind of known for saying, hey, aren't you done now? It's time to go, you know, to turn the tables because there were so many people. But people expected it. They thought it was funny. Yeah. Uh, I wonder how many people we would have really been, tables we would have been able to get in there now. Yep. I mean, it would have, yeah, it would have been a completely different place, which would have taken away from its character, honestly. Yep. Well, that's a, that's a good lead into the sort of one of the themes of this conversation today is to talk about how COVID has impacted the world of work here in central Ohio. So let's start pre-COVID, back to January, February. Talk a little bit about what the state of the, the sort of labor market and, and the workforce issues that you were facing in the workforce board um, before COVID hit. What were the sort of priorities and what was the state of the economy? Wow. So... It gave me big flashbacks back to the mid 2000s, where literally one day I was saying this thing, and the next day I was saying something completely opposite. And literally, that is how it is 
playing out now. So if you would have had me come and speak about what the economy and what workforce is like in Central Ohio, I would have said um, it is a job seekers market. Um, companies were trying to find talent pipelines. Um, we were very concerned with uh, going to as many non-traditional sources of talent as we could find, spending a lot of time trying to figure out how do we get people into training and credentials? Because a lot of the jobs that are open in Central Ohio uh, require that, those skill levels. But in Franklin County, um, a third of our population at the time, back then, was living at 200% of poverty or below. A lot of people working, but a lot of people working in low wage jobs um, or maybe working in two or three jobs to make ends meet because they didn't have the skills and the credentials they needed to get the jobs that would pay better. And we were laser focused. That's where we were focused on. So pause just for a minute. What were those, elucidate for us, what were those key skills that were, where was that gap between the job openings and the job seekers? What were the skills that they were missing or that were needed? Well, a lot of them are technology skills. And uh, I'm sure we're going to talk about, well, what's it like now? I mean, technology skills, the number one thing. Understanding all the way from the very basic, uh, understanding how to manipulate a computer and use Office and things like that all the way up to huge demand in coding jobs, in IT infrastructure jobs, help desk. Um, a lot of those technology skills, that's where the demand was. Also, uh, a high demand uh, in healthcare. I mean, um, a lot of those entry level positions in healthcare uh, require knowledge of, well, first of all, they do need computer skills, um, but understanding some very basic science and biology in order to get into the jobs where you actually can make good money uh, in healthcare. So LPNs, medical assisting, um, and then all of the variety of things you can do in a hospital that honestly I only became aware of in the last couple of years you know, surge tech, surgical technicians, and uh, even patient care assistants. Um, there's credentials for that. You, you don't just go into a hospital and get that job. So um, all of those things, all of those kinds of entry-level skills which are needed for some of these people to get these other jobs. So educate us a little bit about what, what is the role of the Workforce Development Board then in the pre-COVID period? What, given that gap and those skills that were needed by employers, what specifically were, is your organization trying to do to address that problem? So the Workforce Development Board, as a board, uh, sees itself as the thought leader and kind of strategy body for workforce in Central Ohio, but we also operate the Ohio Means Job Center here in the county, and it's over uh, on East Broad Street at 1111 East Broad. And that's where uh, we try to uh, recruit as many people as we can to come to the job center, assess them, try to open their mind 
to the kinds of opportunities there are in Central Ohio. And then we actually, our core funding comes through the Department of Labor at the federal level, through the state to us. And we have the ability to pay for training, uh, sometimes completely pay for it, depending on somebody's uh, income. Uh, also, we are able to support people through that training, like books or, you know, a computer, uh, uniform, tools, you know, whatever they need. Um, we also are really tapped into the social services to try to identify if you need rental assistance or you need transportation dollars or childcare, just to try to really surround people so they can go into that training. And, um, but at a more strategic level, uh, we were really working to build those relationships where we could find those sources of talent. Um, the people who, you know, the Columbus State, for example, Ohio State, wherever we could tap into and entice people to talk with us so we can show them the opportunities that are in Franklin County. So I'm, I'm imagining that a lot of that was face-to-face. -face. Um, yes. So <laughs> yep. Yep. Talk now. We weren't using this. <laughs> where, where, are we, uh, where are we now? Or not so much where are we now. Let's talk first about when COVID started to hit um, in the late February, early March, and into April, and we start to see unemployment claims start to rise, uh, mm -hmm. furloughing occur. How did, how did you see that in, from your vantage point? And, and what, did you, what were some of those early moves that you took to try and address the, the unemployment situation? So as we pivoted into this slowly, we actually were already starting to see some layoffs, permanent layoffs before COVID. Um, these were related to the economy. Uh, and actually we were working with Verizon on a 500 person layoff. And we uh, provide services to those companies and people when they're doing those layoffs. And so it became apparent to us pretty quickly. Uh, first of all, we need to stay connected um, to people, but we all, as people are being laid off or furloughed even, because we can actually help people who are being furloughed, is how are we gonna get to them? And how are we gonna let them know that we're here we are operating. You may not be able to come see us face to face, but we will go to the nth degree to help you. And if that means talking to you on the phone, and we and some of my talent development specialists did this, people who don't have computer access or good broadband, call me on the phone and I will talk you through a job search that I have in front of me. Or we had virtual targeted hiring events. I will be you in the event and, and tell, you know, you get me your resume, I'll upload it, I will tap, type in your questions, I will read to you the job descriptions. So we really had to pivot pretty quickly to a completely virtual online environment. And you know, the funny thing is, this was something we were slowly moving to. We wanted to do more of this because one of our strategies is to have people be able to go to any library in the county and be able to access through the computer uh, any of our services. So we were planning that. We did it in three weeks. Make use of a crisis. Make yep. good use of a Rush crisis. Down. Yeah. So, uh, and then letting employers know, uh, look, we, um, 
purchased this online virtual platform, which is pretty cool, and uh, letting these employers who had COVID hiring needs, in addition to, there were employers who were still hiring. Um, look, we have this platform where you can interact with people. And um, we are still conducting those, actually, conducting those hiring events. Um, we're going to start slowing down to every other week and start pivoting. Well, it depends on what happens here with COVID. So pause, pause there and talk, since you mentioned the virtual hiring events. How does that work? What, what, what is that interface like? It's really interesting. So you, you go on, uh, job seekers can register all the way from the Tuesday before the event, which starts on Thursday, all the way up to midnight on Saturday, if they only want to be in there two minutes. <laughs> so they can come in at any time during the event. Companies work with us and we build them booths. So when you go into the event, um, you see little people walking and you see a convention center, literally, and there's banners that say, you know, Workforce Development Board, One Columbus, the Columbus Chamber, who we have partnering with us. And then you're walking into a convention center and there's platforms, plazas, right? Um, and uh, right now they're organized by, if you need supportive services or training, you're interested in training or actual employment. And then the employers have booths. So just like if you were in the convention center, they have a booth. And you kind of go into their booth and they have put information in their booth about their company, about the jobs they have, their logos, um, any information they want you to have. And then you can go and click on the jobs and see what's available. There's a chat and during the day, they have people who are there to chat with you if you want to ask in real-time questions. Um, depending on the company, you can now actually upload your resume and apply for the position there, or they will email you a link for that. And, and then you can wander <laughs> the whole uh, convention center and look at all the different jobs and so see what's This is you as an avatar navigating yes. this virtual convention center. Is there, right. is there ever a time during the, the hiring fair, and I would assume the question I'm about to ask, if you ultimately got hired, you would have some kind of face-to-face -face through Zoom, but during the hiring fair itself, is there face-to-face -face or is it all you interfacing with a chat box or some web interface? What, what's the nature of the interaction? So right now, uh, it, is, it would be all using chat and uh, using the digital platform. So there is not face-to-face. That gives the company an opportunity to go offline and, and um, make that appointment with you. Mm -hmm. um, but we have started incorporating into uh, our, in fact, our new live streamed workshops going forward will be available here next week. And uh, we're starting to incorporate even more information about what do you do in a digital interview, you know, if we're doing Zoom. That's where, I, I wanted to, that's where I wanted to go. I mean, I'm, I'm thinking back to, you know, I asked you about your first job and I'm thinking about my first jobs and the importance of a firm handshake, looking somebody in the eye and asking questions and um, all, all of the sort of, sort of norms of interaction interpersonally mm -hmm. that, that shape the, the context of an interview, right? Mm -hmm. and, and then I, I think about as we try to prepare our graduates in the Glenn College for the world of work, so much of it is about that person-to-person -person interface. 
what is, is it the same kinds of lessons and guidance that you would give to a job seeker now? Or are there, are there different things that a job seeker needs to be really focused on to present themselves in the best possible way for an employer in a virtual setting? Yeah, so what I would say are there are additional things. So the traditional things are important, but the additional things are. So for example, I am looking at you while I talk to you. I am much closer to you. You probably recognize this in teaching virtually, right? You are much more, it is much more noticeable everything that you do actually than it is when you're in person. Because when you're in person, people are, you know, they might look away, they might do the, you know. But when you're this, your lays are focused on each other and you're a lot more up close and personal, even though you don't think you are. Yep. So the way you handle yourself on a virtual interview is different. Um, the setting you're in has to be different um, because you're not going into their setting. They essentially are seeing your setting. And so you need to be careful about what your background is. Um, you know, a lot of people are using those uh, kind of fake backgrounds. Mm -hmm. I actually don't uh, recommend people doing that for an interview because um, I don't know if you've noticed on some of them, you get ghostly, yeah. you know, yeah. and it doesn't, it doesn't always play right. But um, what you wear is going to be more noticeable on a virtual uh, interview. Yeah, so, so there are things like that that you need to be more aware of. On the upside, if I had notes, which actually I don't, but if I did, you know, they could be here and remind myself to say this or that. You can, you can do that and you would never see them. Right. You know? So there's tips and tricks about it that you, that you can do if you're doing in a digital interview. And where do you look? Right. I'm looking at you instead of at my camera. I'm looking at you because it's easier for me to talk to you and respond to your facial cues. Right. Some people think they have to look at the camera. So there, there are different things that you yeah. need to be aware of. Well, thanks for sharing those tips and tricks. <laughs> Hopefully there are some job seekers on this that are going to put that to good use. Yeah. Um, let's talk about job seeking more broadly now. In the first part of this conversation, you identified the kinds of skills that employers were looking for. And even though, as you pointed out, we're in whatever it is, 10, 12% unemployment here in the state of Ohio, mm -hmm. um, there are still lots of job openings. Yes. Uh, have, talk about, is it the same list of things that people are, are looking for, that employers are looking for, or is it, a, it has the composition of the sort of job openings changed as a result of COVID? You know, a lot of the job openings are right now are actually not necessarily all entry level or in junior, what we might call a junior level. They're more in that mid-tier level. Um, so that means that if, um, if you are trying to get into a new um, career, uh, go a different direction than where you've gone, then we really need to talk about how do we position your experience so that somebody looking at it will see connections between what I did here and how that relates directly to what it is you're looking for. Um, so I think uh, that there are a lot of jobs posted here in Central Ohio that are in that upper range, 50,000 or more. But 
most of them are not entry level. The entry level, the ability to make that kind of money in the entry level means an IT credential. So, so that's where we have to think about, there is a lot of conversation now in the workforce universe, meaning among my colleagues and uh, different think tanks across the country about the way to get through this period is come to us, let's talk about where you wanna go, let's talk about what your skills are. How do we take those skills that you have right now and give you a lifeboat job? And while you're, then you get that lifeboat job. And now let's talk about how we go from here to the long-term career. And that's, um, that can be a hard sell to somebody. Um, but, it, and it means that we have to really be able to paint a picture about the opportunity in those career paths. Um, and they're not even paths, you know, cause it, that sounds like I'm gonna get on this and I'm just gonna do this. That's old. Um, but um, opportunities that kind of branch out from this job based on what you're interested in and your skills are. So that's what we have to think about now more. Let's talk a little bit, let's add another variable here, which is the um, insertion of public policy in, in this equation. Um, so today, so far we've been talking about that interaction between an employer and a potential um, a job seeker. Mm -hmm. um, but you know, we had the federal government enter, uh, enter, enter into the labor market very actively with the stimulus and the Paycheck Protection Program. How is that affecting people's job seeking and employers being able to hire? What's, what's your sense of the impact here in Ohio? So I would say, uh, although some of this is going to end next week, unless Congress and the federal government act, um, there is a um, category of job and a pay range at which getting the extra $600 a week uh, actually means somebody may be making more money now on unemployment and with that additional pay than um, they would have made with just the unemployment. And so um, next week, uh, that will be ending. It ends at the end of July. So actually it's not next week, it's the following week. Um, we expect uh, there will be a lot more people interested in employment at that point. Although Ohio has also hit an unemployment level, which kicks in an additional 13 weeks of unemployment. Mm -hmm. So now people are gonna be on it longer than 26 weeks. Um, I think more, and there are employers who hire and who have people in that wage range, which is a lower wage range, um, who are saying, I can't get people to come back to work because they're making more in unemployment. But I also think there are other issues that are going to affect people's ability to come back to employment. And chief among those is childcare, and whether children will be in school full-time or not. Um, there is not many of our child care providers here in Franklin County, which is what I know most, um, are not able, um, are barely making it uh, because given the requirements for social distancing among two-year-olds 
and that whole age, um, it is, they cannot have enough, they don't have enough children to make money um, in childcare. And so they, many of them are limping along. Plus, they also, some of those childcare providers had to say to parents, we can't take you back. Um, and I've spoken to a few of them. Uh, if there's not school, um, you know, school, you don't think of school as childcare, but a lot of parents, you think of school as childcare. Um, if they have to work from home and their job doesn't allow that, how do they go back? Um, people who have underlying health conditions live with someone who has an underlying health condition and are afraid to go back to work and can't work from home. Um, so, you know, that, that's going to really, that will also pose a problem in the, in the near term. Let's, you, you raised childcare. Is that, would you describe that as a COVID problem, i.e. when COVID is done, that will resolve itself as daycares open up again, schools back in, perhaps not this fall in the robust level that we want, but say a year hence. So is that just a short-term issue or is childcare a, a, a bigger, more structural um, problem? And if so, what are your thoughts on what we do about that? So what COVID has done in a lot of areas, I'm sure besides just the ones that I'm working in, it's We've had some structural problems, childcare being one of them, education being one of them. And what COVID has done, it has ripped off the Band-Aid. Any Band-Aid we had, it has ripped it off. So now some of those problems, which were big policy areas that we were very much interested in, and uh, we were talking about and looking at policy for, now it is, again, make use of a good crisis because if you didn't believe it was a problem before employers now you know it's a really big problem and so uh covid only made it shown the light on it so it's even brighter of a problem um i have thoughts about that yes i mean i think that um we need to i mean one thing we need to do is we need to help uh, subsidize more public child care options. Um, I think that employers need to think about child care subsidy as a uh, benefit. I think that, um, you know, we need to be, I, I actually have had the radical idea, and I know this is radical, that why aren't we using the public school system and let's look at that as being a place we expand child care. In many ways, it, it is already. If you think about after school, latchkey care, um, places where they have kindergarten, half day kindergarten, but then they have uh, another uh, kind of kindergarten in the afternoon um, to, because parents you know, need full day kindergarten. So maybe we should look at expanding that. But what I do need to know is we, uh, what I do know is we need to have quality childcare so that parents can work if they choose to work. And without it, um, you know, that's, that's one of the reasons why we have poverty as well. I mean, parents can't work or work in the way they would like to work 
because they can't afford childcare or they can't get quality childcare. And that's just one of the issues. Yeah, let's talk about another big one that's related, healthcare. Um, in, in the United States, the vast majority of healthcare is provided or access to healthcare is provided by your employer through private insurance, through your employer. Um, so that's a, sensibly a responsibility of the employer. How, how does this impact the ability of the labor market to function? And again, is COVID, like you just said, ripping off Band-Aids or is it a different phenomenon here? No, I think that that also uh, has ripped off the Band-Aid on whether people have adequate health care. And uh, when your health care is tied to where you work, and actually we see this a lot because in, in Columbus, we we serve the continuum of people who work. So we, we have white collar workers coming to our Delta all the time. And their health care is tied to their workplace. And sure, they have COBRA, but COBRA eventually runs out. And depending on how long it takes them to find a job, I, I do believe uh, in my perfect world, healthcare would not be coupled to work. Um, healthcare would be something that people access in some other way. And I can't tell you that I am for um, Medicaid for all or you know, uh, some a public option. I'm not exactly sure what the best option is, I'll be honest about that. But what I do know is that, I do know that uh, with the expansion of Medicaid, that has allowed a lot more people to work because they've been able to control chronic conditions and they've been able to get the health care they need. And that's a real thing, especially pre-COVID when I told you we were trying to go to every potential demographic to get people to work. Um, so I know that healthcare, access to healthcare means more people can work. But I also know on an employer side, if it's tied to your employer, you know, there can be problems with that. So I, I, we're going to come to the end of this, and I want to talk a little bit about the future of work, but just desperate for one last follow-up on this. So you work a lot with employers, um, not just those seeking work, but those seeking employees. What's your sense of the, the perspective of employers on both childcare and healthcare? I think that on healthcare, and, and actually we face this as a nonprofit, uh, we just got our numbers 27% for my little nonprofit, 13 people. And I hear from employers, you know, how expensive it's getting for them to offer healthcare at a reasonable cost, even when they want to. Yep. And um, even when they can join in in groups like the Chambers program, it's just very expensive uh, for them to do it. And so I think we're gonna see more and more employers uh, I've had employers say to me that, you know, they're interested where they may not have been before in trying to find some other way as a society for us to provide good health care. Um, and, you know, and I have a lot of employers who are, you know, they, they'll only insure the person who's working for them, right, and not the family. Yep. And, and that can be, you know, that can be something that someone says, you know, well, I'm not going to, I, I need the health care for everybody, not just me. Um, on child care, I think we're starting to see, I think before COVID, we were starting to see uh, um, some movement. There's a major employer here in Central Ohio who started looking at 
subsidies, they put a child care center on site. Even just putting that, even doing that, putting the center on site and having somebody else run it and then subsidizing, um, giving them the space so that you're literally subsidizing by keeping the costs lower for that provider. I mean, it doesn't mean that you actually have to provide cash to your employees. What you have to, what you have to do is provide space, uh, utilities, things that will lower the cost so that what they charge the employees, employees is more affordable, right? So there's a lot of ways that it can be handled. And I do think employers are starting to see that. Of course, it's easier for a large corporation with three buildings in downtown to do that than it is for you know, a small manufacturer. But, um, but something has got to be done. And I, and I think employers are, are getting that. They're definitely getting that now. <laughs> They're definitely getting that. So let, let's let's finish this by looking forward to the future. Um, so before COVID, everything we heard was automation, automation, automation. That is the the wave of the future. Um, and now in COVID, you and I are talking to each other via um, a web interface. So we're virtual. We're relying heavily on technology to do work. Look out into your crystal ball and predict we get through COVID. What's the world of work going to look like? in the coming years? What's your sense and how do we best prepare for that? So we know automation is coming to certain kinds of jobs and I am a realistic optimist on that. I don't think that means jobs are going to go away. Just like in the industrial revolution, a lot of things got mechanized. There were more jobs. And I think, but what that means is I, I am a big believer that uh, in our education system as if they don't have enough to do, that we need to start teaching basic coding. I think that um, we are gonna be using these tools and we need to understand how they work, even if it's at a very basic level. Um, I think we need to understand how to work with automation. And, and we've already seen this happening in manufacturing, right? Um, you know, the, the guy or girl on the floor they're, they're not necessarily running the machine. What they're doing is making sure the machine runs. It's different, right? Um, I think, you know, there's a lot of talk right now. Uh, we talked a little bit about in another time about do or is everybody going to be working from home? Uh, I do think that there are companies um, who are looking to not have a physical footprint and have people work from home. I think long-term, there's still gonna need to be a place for people to get together physically. Because if I go by my own staff, working from home was a lot of fun in the first three weeks and it ain't fun anymore. Um, that we're at, at, right, at base, we are social animals. And maybe we wanna work from home a couple days a week. I think that's something that companies are no longer gonna say, well, that can't happen. Um, because now we know, oh, oh yeah, it can happen, that there'll be more flexibility around that. But I do think that people will want to congregate in person a couple days a week. So I don't think everybody now is gonna be working from their home pod, you know, and that's how it's gonna be forever. Um, but so the use of technology, that's why broadband, another Band-Aid that got ripped off, right? 
adequate um, bat broadband for everybody is going to be more important, not just for work, but for education, too, both of those things. Um, I think we're going to see that uh, there's going to be a big push a lot quicker for that to happen. Something we've talked about my whole career, pretty much, how to expand broadband into the inner city, you know, into Appalachia, all those things. So I think that people are going to have to be a lot more comfortable with technology. They're going to have to learn at least the basics of how it works. Uh, in order to grow in whatever career they're in. And um, no, I don't believe we're all going to be working from home forever. I don't. Well, good, because I'm looking forward to joining you at Brennan someday for some perch. That sounds... Oh, yeah. I'm looking, I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, well, now that you said that, I'm hungry for perch. Let's, let's finish there on that hungry thought. Lisa, thanks so much for sharing your thoughts and experience with us. And you stay safe and healthy. Thank you. You too. Policy Brief is produced by the John Glenn College of Public Affairs at The Ohio State University. 